This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. How can we balance client needs, community concerns, and environmental considerations on our projects? I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Andrew Dorman, a licensed professional engineer and senior civil engineer at Burns & McDonald. He has many years of experience designing and planning complex projects, and he's going to talk about this balance between what your client really needs, what the community wants, and those environmental considerations. He's also going to walk us through his design process and how he really ensures that projects are completed efficiently and within budget. Now, before we get started today, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Simpson Strong Tie. Simpson Strong Tie is a building industry pioneer dedicated to helping people design and build safer, stronger homes, structures, and communities. Simpson Strong Tie is making a positive difference for their customers through expert engineering, world-class test laboratories, and unrivaled technical support. We invite you to consider working alongside the many talented, passionate, and humble people who are all contributing to our shared mission in an environment that supports a healthy work-life balance. It's a place where you can connect, create, and build a career. Visit strongtie.com forward slash careers to learn about our culture and why Simpson Strongtie employees are our most loyal customers. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the show for today. Andrew Dorman is a licensed professional engineer. He's a senior civil engineer at Burns & McDonald. And I'm excited to have him because we're going to talk about some very interesting topics related to kind of balancing client needs, community concerns, as well as environmental considerations on projects. Andrew, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Hey, Anthony. Thank you very much. Andrew, just to kick us off a little bit, tell our listeners about what you do on a day-to-day basis at Burns & McDonnell. I'm in the Aviation Federal uh, Group here at Burns & McDonnell, and we focus primarily on Department of Defense and Department of Energy contracts, working um, mostly with Airfield, Army, Army National Guard, um, Department of Energy, and working on some nuclear facilities and research lab facilities. On a daily basis, always making sure we're coordinating with our clients, coordinating internally, and checking up on our projects and checking up on with our personnel here at Burns & Mac and making sure we're pushing forward to meet the client need. How'd you find your way to civil engineering in your career? My cousin-in-law is actually a civil engineer and he's at, down in Houston and kind of growing up, going, th- I went to Oklahoma State University and, and going through college and he went to Oklahoma State University and we had a, some similarities there. And I had an opportunity to intern with him during the summers uh, while I was in college and really got a good feel for civil engineering and, and land development. And it really sparked my interest of, you know, being able to take uh, like a greenfield site, if you will, and, and develop be housing or road networks or whatever it may be, you know, malls, parking lots. And that just kind of sparked my interest of, you know, being able to take the, this flat canvas and being able to 
implement a design on top of it and getting to work with him and then going through college and getting, you know, a feel for the more technical side of things of the design elements and what goes into those processes just, you know, it sparked my interest even more. And here I am. So um, I love being at Burns McDonald's. So it's a great place to work and we do a lot of really cool projects. So Andrew, tell us about some of the biggest challenges that you face when designing and planning for airfields, facilities, and, you know, infrastructure projects for the Department of Defense and the Department of Energy. The first, you know, big key step of of kind of getting over the hurdle of that first challenge is going to kickoff charrettes, reading the documentation that are provided to us prior to getting to a kickoff charrette where we had the opportunity to sit down with the users, sit down with the client. And in some cases, it's the airmen. In some cases, it's the maintainers. It's based civil engineering and sitting down and really understanding the full scope and need of what the project is requiring, right? So going through that kickoff shred process and really starting to create that list of boxes that we need to begin to start checking as we work our way through the design process and having those interviews and those those, those meetings is really provides us with those boxes to begin checking. And then from there, understand the mission requirement, understand what it is we're achieving and what, how does that mission of our project fit into the overall mission of the installation, whether that be a bed down for a new airframe or um, maintaining an existing bed down or providing a new facility for a new laboratory, whatever that may be. And then looking at that project as a whole and then understanding the constraints and the standards that will apply to that and doing our due diligence to do the research and to really create those client relationships to where we can have open dialogue throughout design and really get rid of the large overall challenges by always being in constant contact with our clients and have that open dialogue to where we can ask questions whenever we aren't sure of an answer or we need more information. Yeah, that's great. And I think really what you hit on there is really that planning. The beginning of the project is so important when you're thinking about challenges and effective project management. Like you said, the charrettes, what are the kickoff meetings, checklists, whatever you can do to really set those expectations on the beginning of your projects. And then really important, as you said, like keeping those lines of communication open throughout the project as things change, because we know things are going to change on projects. That's just inevitable. But having the ability to check in with them is great. And so I think as consultants, engineering professionals, you know, we always really want to service, you know, our clients and provide the most value that we can. So how do you ensure that your design really meets the needs of your clients and and you give them that value, but you also balance the concerns of, you know, the local community around the project, the environmental impacts. Talk me through that process a little bit. With Department of Defense, Department of Energy, a lot of these installations are within areas where there's communities all around. So the more we work with these installations, the more we've understood the public-private partnerships that they create with the local communities. Because the last thing that we want to do as designers and the last thing the Department of Defense or Department of Energy wants to do is, is create that a conflict with the local communities. So providing that, there's opportunities for personnel and family members that are maybe working at the base that are also part of the local community. And they can really have that partnership between base, local community, and and be able to to intertwine themselves and really become 
as opposed to the base being a separate part of the community, almost intertwine themselves to be, become part of the community, right? So that and then understanding the economic growth that missions to certain installations can bring, the more, you know, if you're bringing in a new bed down or bringing in a new opportunity to a, a base, that's going to bring more people to the community, right? That's going to bring more airmen or more maintainers to the installation, which will require the need for housing, which will require the need for jobs for spouses and schools for their children. So it really, the economic impact is can be significant. The tricky part, right, is to making sure keeping the community and those involved in the community involved in any design project that we may have or any opportunity we may have to interview with them and, and understand you know, environmental concerns or whatever that may be. That's really important. I think as civil engineers, like our projects can have a real positive impact on the community, which I think is why this is one of the, the coolest professions, quite frankly, because not only are we doing engineering, but we're impacting communities and, and really we can impact them for the positive. And I really like what Andrew said there is I think when the client also recognizes that, you know, and tries to create that like you said, that public-private partnership, I think that's when you can kind of take some of your projects kind of to the next level. And I do think, again, communication obviously plays a huge role in that. One of the other things that Andrew kind of hit on there that's important is thinking about the benefits that the project brings to the community, the very specific benefits it brings to the community, like you said, jobs, tax base, you know, whatever the case may be. I think a lot of times what happens, and I remember when I was practicing as a civil engineer, going to planning board meetings and approval meetings, and you would get people that would often come out against your projects for whatever reason it might be. And I think they neglect to think about some of the very positive like economic and community impacts that the projects and that these clients or these developers or whoever you're working with, public or private, are bringing to the table. And so I think it can really be a big part of our job as the consultant to bridge that gap right? And let people understand the benefits, whether it means bringing your client in front of them to talk about those benefits or you talking about those benefits. There's lots of lots of very valuable benefits and things that come out of getting the, the public and the private together and getting them on at the beginning of the project, almost like inviting the public into the project to be a part of it, you know, from the beginning. Right. A lot of projects that we work on, you know, with certain airframes require noise studies and impacts of those nature to where we need to be cognizant of how that's going to impact the local community. There could be housing nearby where a new airframe is going to be really loud and and how that relationship can be kind of mended to where, you know, helping them understand the importance of what the base is, is doing at the same time, you know, how that's going to impact the community in a positive way. These are things that go on behind the scenes in our project sometimes that people aren't aware of. Like I know for me, I worked on a very large bridge project and there was countless studies during the environmental phase that about like the fish in the in the river and the patterns of the fish and how that was going to be interrupted maybe during construction. So, so there's a lot that goes into it. But I know that a lot of our listeners may be civil engineers interested in getting into this kind of work or even students that are trying to figure out what type of civil engineering they want to practice in. So I'd love for you to maybe walk us through your design process for a project like this from the initial concept to kind of your final plans and implementation. So a lot of times we will start with a uh, programming charrette report. So what that is, is it's kind of a, consider it like a 10% document, right? Where it might not be a project that we'll take all the way to design, or it might be a project we take all the way to design, but somebody somewhere is going to kick off the project and set forth the standards, set forth the scope of the project, 
and kind of create the blueprint, right, of what that project needs to be. And then once that report is is approved of and, and what it really does is help the government give an idea of funding and how much a project's going to cost. And so they can take that program, that called a PCR, we take that PCR and really get an idea of how that project can be um, funded and then take that project and then get it out to, whether it be Burns & Mac or some other company to take that PCR forward. And from there, you know, we would have our standard kickoff charrette, like I like I'd mentioned before, where we would get in the same room with the clients and, and really understand, you know, reading through the PCR, okay, it says, you know, X, Y, Z and confirming those requirements and and diving more into the the nitty-gritty and the details of what those requirements really are and what they need to be. And really establishing one, the relationship with the client at that time, and then two, establishing the foundation again, more or less building that next block up from the blueprint of where are we going with this design? And so from there, um, we go from our kickoff charrette right into like a 35% to a 65% to a 95% to a 100%. And at each one of those milestones, we try to not get too technical heavy at the beginning, get the project scope and get everything on the drawings that shows the client the scope of what the project is and how we interpreted it and how we're designing it. And it starts that that review process where the client can jump in and provide review comments and, and state, you know, lessons learned from previous projects that we might not not have known about, gives us an opportunity to open up new lines of, of dialogue with other reviewers who may, might not have been part of the charrette. And we can reach out to them um, and talk to them that they might be a subject matter expert for a gas line or sanitary sewer or stormwater, whatever it may be. And we can really start creating that open dialogue at that 35% even further. And then from there, that 65% is when we really, really want to start hitting home the detailed design of our projects where we're showing our grading, we're showing our pavement designs, we've, we've got layouts of, of our aprons or whatever it may be, parking lots, you know, all of our utility connections and how we're tying into mechanical rooms and the facility and then from that 65%, we just continue that dialogue. And we, as a, well, what we like to do at that 65% is get back in front of the client and really be face to face and have a week long uh, meeting and sit down and, and really put pen to paper and say, you know, hey, where are we missing? What are we missing? Where are we off? What are we not thinking about? What are we overthinking? How can we begin to fine tune the, the overall scope of the project where we're, we're not only thinking about design, but we're also thinking about cost? And ensuring that we don't, you know, bust the budget of the project, we're staying under the budget of the project and working our way to that 95% where we're really at that point in the full design where we've got coordination all throughout and we're fine tuning at, at that point. And then we work our way to the 100% and picking up small comments here and there and, and really working our way towards the final product for the client. Just tons of communication you can hear there back and forth. And for those not familiar with the word charrette, you're talking to like kind of like a planning meeting, right? Or a kickoff meeting or a planning meeting or? Yeah, it's it's an opportunity for, you know, you get down there and you kick the project off, you do an introduction, you take what you've learned from the PCR, or if there's not a PCR, you take what you know from what's been provided and you take some of your, you know, previous projects you've worked on and that are, that might be similar in nature and start creating that. Here's what we know here are the questions we have and where can we go from there forward for this specific project? We do a lot of project management training. And I think when we work with companies, sometimes the biggest 
and fastest way to make improvements is just to have better kickoff meetings or kickoff meetings at all, because it kind of blows my mind, but sometimes people just don't have them on their projects. And to me, that's your opportunity to get everyone going in the same direction from the beginning of the project, which is so critical. We harp on a lot here at Burns and Mac is, is that client relationship and ensuring it's comforting to provide the client. It's comforting for us and it's comforting for them to know that we're listening and that we're hearing everything that they say, we're soaking it up as much as we can, and we're doing the best that we can to put it into the project. And then there might be times where you know they're relying on us to provide our best engineering judgments to say, you know, maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe we need to go this route or, hey, you know, on a previous project, we did this instead. We found this to be extremely successful. And it might be something that someone hasn't thought of or something that just it could be a new idea. Yeah. And that's another thing we try to hit in our training as well is the, the lessons learned, right? Like you just talked about, right? Every time you go through a project, you should try to debrief it with your team, maybe even with your client, have a lessons learned and you can really implement takeaways. And then if you can share those lessons learned even across your firm, it's even better because then you're doing some knowledge sharing and you're having a bigger impact, which I think is important. Exactly. Yeah. I think as engineers, we're never going to be 100% right. And we're, I think along the way, we we all make mistakes. And if you don't learn from those lessons, then you're kind of stuck in a hole. And and that's, I think we all strive to move forward and move the needle a little bit more and and really work our way towards better designs and, and you know, more sufficient designs. The best engineers and project managers that I know are learning when they start their career and learning when they end their career. They're always looking to learn more no matter how much experience they have. And I think that that's a really valuable mindset to maintain. Exactly. All right. So Andrew, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about technology because we know that technology has had a massive impact, obviously globally, but in the world of civil engineering in a big way. I mean, there's a new software every day that can help you do your project faster and different. And so I'm curious as to how Burns and McDonald kind of keeps an eye on the different technologies that are out there. And like, even at the project level for you, like, how do you view technology? How do you keep up with it? What can you offer us on that topic? One thing that we've have started getting into, which has been has really kind of blown the minds of our clients, is is using the 3D modeling, using the Oculus to show our clients, you know, the interior of a building through a BIM model, or or have them walk through an entire installation in a three dimensional plan. Right. So, what we've been able to do, and we've been working on the uh, B-21 Raider bomber master planning for the last few years. And what we've been able to do is we've not only been master planning, we've also been designing facilities for the same mission at different installations. And we've taken some of our designs, whether they be a 35 or 65% level, we've put those shapes on a map, right? And we've got the whole base modeled out in a third dimension world where you can literally put the Oculus on, you could stand right in the air traffic control tower and you can look around and see the entire base in a third dimension. So when we've been doing these master plan efforts, we're laying out and designing at a very high level locations and areas where these facilities can go and where these aprons can go and parking positions can go. And so as we're building that in the AutoCAD world, and we're modeling that in the BIM world for some of the designs that we're doing, we can really have a client get a true idea of, you know, if they're sitting in the air traffic control tower and they look to their right today in the real world, there's an open piece of land over there. But in the 3D world, when they put the Oculus on and they look to their right, they can see the whole build out of their brand new B21 that's going to be online in, you know, 20 or 30 years. And they can see, they have, they have the ability to walk down 
uh, taxiway corridors and look left and right and see the hangers and see, you know, hangar doors open with the, you know, we've been modeling the B2 and all of our programs because the B21 uh, just got unveiled, but you can literally walk down a taxiway as if you're inside of an aircraft and you can see the hangers, you can see obstructions. It's truly amazing. It's a technology I think that, you know, on the cusp of becoming extremely powerful, we've barely touched what the capabilities of it can be. Like for instance, in our DOE projects, some of the facilities that we've designed, we've been able to take the Oculus with us to these review meetings and have the users who are going to be using a lab space or using a testing uh, area space to put the Oculus on. And we can, with a joystick, we can walk them around the room and they've been able to say, hey, you know, this shelf is a little bit too high or this countertop is, you know, why don't we move it a few inches this way because it might interfere with this hose hose reel that's over here. And really we're fine tuning the the details that, you know, we might not have thought through because we just didn't have that full coordination with the user. And so we're, we're able to, to show them the end product before dirt is even moved, which is, it's incredible. That's something that we've really, really are starting to grasp and we're, we're taking full advantage of. And I think it's something that it's made our clients, you know, their eyebrows raise and go, wow, I, I can't believe that we can actually do this. One of the responsibilities that we have as civil engineering professionals is to think about the user experience on our projects, right? We don't just want to do drawings and do specifications just to check the boxes. We want to think about the experience we're providing people, the safety of the people that are using our roadways and buildings and bridges, et cetera. And so I think technology like this, like you said, can really get you to get a great feel for the user experience before you move dirt, which is so exciting. And it gives you as the designer just so much more insight, right, as to where you're headed that we just didn't have in the past. Exactly. Yeah. And it's for what we do um, here at Burns and Mac, being able to show that to airmen or to maintainers who are actually going to be flying the aircraft or working on the aircraft or to scientists who are going to be using a lab, it creates a whole new opportunity to really fully understand what they deal with on a daily basis and how we can better our designs to meet and mold to what they need. Andrew, you've worked on a lot of awesome projects. You've talked about a lot of interesting stuff with us. I'm just curious as to your career experience to date is either the most important skill or skills that you feel that civil engineering professionals really need to have in the kind of the climate that we exist in today. I think kind of like what we touched on a little bit ago is that always learning mentality, not kind of getting stuck in in your ways we might all be kind of guilty of it from time to time where we get so busy, where we might get stuck doing a certain thing a certain way over and over and over. And so putting that process first is don't stop learning. Continue to to reach out to other professionals, join societies, pick the brains of others and listen to these podcasts and, and know that you're not the only one in the engineering world designing things. There's thousands and millions of us throughout the world doing this. And then you know, also understanding... Your idea might not be the best idea. It might be a good idea, but it might not be the best one. And be able to have the confidence and the assurance in yourself to stand behind what you're designing and throw your ideas out there, but also know that know and understand that others might have an idea that you should be able to be a sponge and soak up and go, you know what, that's actually a good idea. We should you know, maybe pivot that way instead. That goes kind of hand in hand with listening to other people, picking the brains of you know more senior engineers getting lessons learned from them, you know, hey, have you done this before? Was it a good idea? Did it work? Did it not work? 
And then, um, you know, just try to do everything you can to continue your education and don't stop learning is, is really kind of where my mindset is with that. Yeah, it's great. I mean, obviously I'm a huge proponent of that and that's why we create all the free content that we create like this podcast. I mean, if you want to learn about topics in civil engineering, you could probably go to a, any one of our couple of hundred episodes that we've got online and, and hear from leaders in the industry, lessons learned, et cetera. Going back to what Andrew talked about before with the technology is just a perfect example. I mean, there are technologies coming out that can make you better as a civil engineer and you could obviously work with your company and you know with their resources and what they're using but we have to be open to these things. Just because we did it one way forever doesn't mean that we're not going to change now and do it better and faster. And like we talked about with the 3D or the virtual reality, like getting even more of the user experience to become ultimately better designers and giving more value to our clients. So I think we need to be open to that. I like the idea of continuous improvement and just always being open to that. I think that's awesome. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Andrew. We're going to finish up by putting him on the civil engineering hot seat and talk about a couple last career-related questions. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Before we dive in, we'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. All right, we're back with Andrew Dorman. Andrew's a licensed professional engineer, senior civil engineer at Burns & McDonald. Andrew, it's time for the civil engineering hot seat. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. First question, do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day, whether it's a morning routine or something you do at lunch every day, just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? For me, I think it's writing a list of objectives for the day and then prioritizing the hardest ones first. I feel like, you know, first thing in the morning, you're the sharpest you're going to be throughout the day. You haven't quite got that that fire in your email yet from, you know, somebody needs something else on another project where you can take those first couple of hours and and really tackle the big topics that you need to, to really focus on first thing in the day. And then, as you know, our days progress and, and things pop up and you got to put something aside and you lose your train of thought. And yeah. So for me, it's it's prioritizing the items that I that that are you know for that week or for that design package or whatever it may be. That those are the first things I do every day. I love that. I mean, I tell everyone here at EMI every day you should have three. MITs are most important tasks and then pick the hardest one, do it first. Because like you said, you got that momentum in the morning, you've got a lot of energy, you're focused, and then the communication floodgates open after that and everyone starts getting a hold of you. What is maybe either one book that has been helpful for you or a philosophy or a framework or an author, just in all of your like continuing education development? Sometimes we remember certain things and we lean on them. Do you have something? It's more of like a philosophy, right? With all the reading and the, and the studies that we do and the design standards that we read to implement within our designs, I think for me, it's research the why instead of just the solution, as opposed to just finding the answer. It's that extra 30 minutes to an hour of time it might take to understand, well, why is that the solution? Why is that the answer? And that goes a long way with with understanding designs and it goes a long way with 
reviewing other designs too, is, you know, when you see something and you, you want to know why it's finding out the reason why, and not just saying, okay, here's a solution, put it on paper and move on. It's, it goes a long way to be able to sit in front of a client and, and fully explain to them why you did something and why it's done that way versus just saying, well, that's just the way we've always done it. And that goes back to a little bit to project management and that kickoff meeting or that charrette meeting, or even earlier on before the project starts, when you're in the scoping phase or the proposal phase to really understand from the client, why are they doing this project, right? Because I think sometimes that really drives their needs, their goals, as opposed to just looking at it at a very technical engineering level, getting to the why. So I really like that. That's a great philosophy. Thinking back on your managers that you've had in your career so far, and you don't have to name any names, but if you think about your favorite manager or managers, what made them your favorite? We're just trying to understand like what makes for really good managers in the civil engineering world? Personality and an approach is first and foremost, having your managers be approachable, have them you know, be able to, you can go up and ask them a question at any given time. You can pull them into a conference room and say, hey, you know, I'm really just struggling with this. And they listen and they really take to heart that, you know, you are part of of what we're doing as a company and what we're doing as a group and what we do matters and and not to leave one person behind or let someone drown without a life vest. And then having managers give you opportunities and and having them give you those chances to shine and and to stumble along the way and, and them looking at you going, are you learning this or are you just going through the motions and getting to the end. With those, you know, the, the given the opportunity, the personality, and then being able to approach them at any given time and, and, and just talk with them on a personal level, on a, a professional level, it really stands out the most to me. You hear that a lot in sports where they say like, hey, that's a great manager or coach. They're like a real player's manager, right? Meaning like they really connect with the players, they connect with the team, they're available yeah, I've heard the same thing in the engineering world, right? If you need to feel like you can have a conversation with your manager about things, if they're going right, they're not going right, that's actually an important part of it, right? They need to be comfortable coming to you when things are good, but also when things are bad because you know they need your guidance, they need your mentorship. And I always felt like the managers that were kind of like, I'm too busy, I can't talk right now are kind of the ones that I didn't like get along with that well. I didn't feel like they were really supporting me. So I really think that that's powerful. All right, I've got one last question for you. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer, let's say they were maybe like earlier on in their career and you only had 30 to 40 seconds with him or her to give them a little bit of career advice, what might you tell them in that short period of time? Be a sponge. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Everyone's going to make them. You're going to make them. Always ask questions. If you don't know, ask somebody, ask a question, don't make assumptions. And then understand the why, understand why you're doing something, why you're doing it a certain way and understand why that solution that you're finding is going to impact the final product. Andrew Dorman, Senior Civil Engineer, Burns and McDonald. You can find Andrew and certainly connect with him on LinkedIn. Andrew, thank you for spending some time with us here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Anthony. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andrew What he talked about is so important, not just about balancing clients' concerns with the environment and the community, but also the whole idea of the user experience, right? Really understanding that user experience and using some of the technology out there now to plug into that even more to drive more value for your clients. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. 
Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.